Thank you for listening to Calvary Aurora's weekly Bible study. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. But it is good. It's good. Just as we were singing that song, it's so good to give thanks to the Lord. It is so good for us to praise him and to give him thanks and to honor him because as we do that, it makes us take an account of all that he has done and all that he is doing. And so it's good for us to give thanks to the Lord. Amen? Amen. And um, I'm just trying to, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians uh, this morning so you guys can turn there. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be at. Always, um, it's always such a, a blessing and a privilege for me to be able to share and teach God's word. Um, and the biggest reason why it's a blessing and a privilege is, is when I teach, that means I have to study. And when I study, it means that God is teaching me something. And so I'm excited for what God has been teaching me. And, and I pray that God would encourage us as we learn from him today and the first thing I want to say is, how many of you guys, um, how many of you have made your New Year's resolution? Anybody? No, nobody. A couple people. All right. Um, how many of you don't make resolutions because you don't follow through? Thank you for your honesty. How many of you guys just really don't care? Okay, great. I can work with that. Um, one of the things that the Lord has really been uh, doing in my heart is, He's really been emphasizing uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, but he's also really been emphasizing Psalm 103, which we read as a psalm this morning. And one of the things that he really, uh, what really stood out to me was uh, Psalm 103, verse 2. And uh, the Lord was really speaking to me uh, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And so we were at our staff um, at our staff meeting, and we, we spend a good chunk of our staff meeting just praying, praying for one another, praying with one another, praying for the church, praying for the different things going on um, in our world. And uh, Pastor Aaron shared Psalm 103, and as he was reading it, uh, verse 2 really stuck out to me, stuck out to me, and it, and it says this, forget not all his benefits. And and Psalm 103 speaks of, you know, he, he heals all our diseases. He, he removes our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, as high as the heavens are above, so great are his mercies towards us. And those are all amazing things. Those are all things that we should, we should be able to stand and glorify God just by those things. And, and yet there's so much more. And, and we're called to not forget those things. And as the Lord was uh, revealing this verse to me, one of the things that I am so thankful for that I don't, I don't necessarily thank God every day for is that I am his child. He has called me his child. He has brought me into adoption, into his family, and he has called me and made me his child. It's one of his benefits. And one of the benefits as being his child, it means that we can look at him and imitate him as dear children. That's what saw, it's what Ephesians 5 Verse 1 and 2 emphasizes. We can read it together and then we'll pray. It says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. 
Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that today, January 1st, 2017, we can stand in this privilege of knowing, God, that you're as faithful today as you were yesterday, as you were a year previously, Lord, and you will be tomorrow just as faithful as you are today. That, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us not to forget the benefits that you give to us. You heal our diseases. You forgive our sins. But, God, you also call us your child, that you are our father, and that we can come to you as a loving father and ask of you for the things in our lives, the necessities, Lord, the things even that we want. You call us to delight ourselves in you, and you will give us the desires of our hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that as we open your word and as you... um, meet with us here, that you would encourage us and strengthen us and, and reveal those areas in our lives, God, that you would want us to, to change, Lord, that you would change those things in our lives. So we commit this time to you, God. Be glorified here, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Well, Ephesians 5 starts off by saying, therefore. And here, Paul concludes really the thought from Ephesians 4. And so we're going to take a good chunk of Ephesians 4 as well, and we're going to study through that and study verse 1 and 2 of Ephesians 5. But we're going to go ahead and read, starting at verse 17 in Ephesians 4. We'll read it through all the way to Ephesians 5, chapter 2. Now, Ephesians 4, 17 says this, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk, as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. And as we enter into 2017, The encouragement to us, and I believe what God has been encouraging me in in the past couple months, and and what he would encourage us to do as followers of him is is really to to not just start a a new year because it's it's a new calendar year, but really to to start afresh and to, to go moving forward with putting off the old man and putting on the new man or putting off the old woman and putting on the new woman. Here Paul um, emphasizes the character of the old man. He, as we re- read through uh, verse 17 and 19, he says, no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. The Gentile walk is characterized by the futility, as Paul would say, of their mind, that in the end their thinking is fruitless because their understanding is darkened, because they are alienated from the life of God. Now, this isn't to say that man in his rebellion against God is not capable of mighty or intellectual achievements. There are many a great men and women who don't have any sort of relationship with God or personal relationship with God that have achieved many great things. But it is to say that all such achievements fall short of true wisdom. Because where does true wisdom come from? Well, Proverbs 9, verse 2 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To love what God loves and to hate what God hates. As Christians, we have a proper way and a place to walk. When we are faced with acknowledging our need 
for forgiveness of sin. And when we humble ourselves to receive God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ, it's as if Jesus himself turns us around and puts us in the right direction. And now we have this place, this area to walk and to progress in as God has turned our lives into a different direction than it was previously in a life of sin. This is what true repentance looks like. It means it's going one direction in sin, which is death, right? The penalties of sin is death. And Jesus intervenes. And as we are faced with Jesus and his forgiveness, we make the decision to humble ourselves and to receive that free gift of forgiveness of sins. He turns us to a different direction. And now we're able to walk in this way, the way of Jesus. Now, uh, verses 17 through 19, uh, Paul here is telling us, listen, we, you need to let go of the old man. And then, and then verses 20 through 24, he says, put on the new man. And so we're going to read that together. It says, uh, verse 20 in chapter 4, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We're to put on this new man. Put off the old man and put on the new man. This has the same idea of putting off or putting on a set of clothes. Now, hopefully, at some point during this week, you took off dirty clothes and you put on clean clothes. Hopefully. Hopefully, you did that today. Hopefully, your neighbor is very thankful that you did this process today. But it has the same idea that we're to take off these things that are former, these things that are dirty, and to put on this new. The idea, is, the, the, the idea is to change into. Change into. And change into has the idea of conduct. We're to leave the former conduct of our past lives and turn to this new direction with Jesus and to put on new conduct. Really, we have great illustrations when we, when we think of putting off and putting on, like, I was born in the 80s. I'm in my 30s now. I was born in the 80s. So I'm a 90s kid. I lived in the 90s. And you know how like fashion and all that stuff, it just repeats itself? Well, now it's like it's the 90s all over again, right? You see all these kids with, with things that I used to wear when I was 12 and 15 and in high school. And, and I look, and this is how I know I'm getting older. It's like, what, what are you wearing? Why did I ever wear that? I remember those and then I start to, I start to have this panic, panic attack, like, oh, my gosh, I'm that guy that I didn't like before. But it's the same thing. Like, listen, I would not go through my closet looking for the clothes that I wore when I was 15. Because I would love to say that I'm a taller guy, but I can't say that. I'm a bigger guy. I'm a bigger guy. And so it would be ridiculous for me to try to wear the clothes that I wore when I was 15. Because... The reality is even, or even if I was 12, like if I, if I was wearing the clothes that I wore when I was 12, I'd be walking up here with, with capris on. And, and, and no man is going to wear capris. Am I right, men? Amen. I hope you say amen. Look out for the men that don't say amen on that. 
It's to put off the old and to put on the new. Think of a prisoner who is released from prison but still wears his prison clothes and acts like a prisoner and not a free man. People that have been freed from prison and and they just live their life continuing on, wearing these same clothes, acting like they're still in prison. It would be foolish for someone to live that way. The first thing that you would tell that person if if you met them is to, to put on some new clothes. You don't have to wear those clothes anymore. You can put on new clothes. Think of think of Lazarus. Jesus' friend, who had been raised from the dead in in John chapter 11. He had been dead for a couple days, and he was bound hand and foot with grave clothes. Now, if he was still wearing those grave clothes, when we read chapter 12, when, when he's at the supper with Jesus, it would be foolish for him to still be in those, right? Because the King James Version tells us, right, that, that he stinketh. He stinketh. And and what a great picture it is for us. Jesus would tell the disciples, hey, loosen, loosen those bondages of the grave, those grave clothes, take those off, unbound him, and let him free. And it's the same for us. We were once dead in our trespasses, our former things, but now we have new life in Jesus. We're loose from these grave clothes. And now we're to put on new things, new conduct, new clothes. Even as putting on different clothes will change the way you look, it will also change the way that you think or you see yourself. Even so, putting on different conduct will start to change your attitude, the way you process things, the way you think about things. This means that we shouldn't wait to feel like the new man. God, I've given my life to you, but nothing has changed. Well, we can't wait till we feel like the new man before we put the new man on. God has told us, behold, all things have become new. The former things have passed. You are a new creation in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. We don't have to feel like the new man to know that we are made new. And we don't have to wait to feel like the new man before we start acting like the new man or the new woman. So what's being said here? What's Paul saying? Paul says that the Christian, for the Christian, there must be a break with the past. There has to be a break from the past. Let go of the former things. Don't try to wear those jeans that you were wearing when you were 12 because you're going to look ridiculous. And as a Christian, Paul is saying here, listen, Christian, don't try to act like you were before you met Jesus because you look ridiculous and you sound ridiculous. You don't sound like me. You sound like the devil. And when we look at this emphasis in in chapter 5 where it says, Dear children, imitate, imitate God as dear children. The world needs to see who God is through his children. Paul is saying here that the Christian, there, there must be a break from the past. Jesus isn't merely added to our old life. The old life dies And Jesus becomes our new life. 
Jesus himself has to become our life. We have to let go of these old things. These, like, I, I know, I know that I have seen, and I know that you have seen people where you're like, you really shouldn't be wearing that anymore, right? And it's the same for our Christian walk. You really shouldn't be acting like that anymore, Christian. You really shouldn't be saying those things anymore, Christian. There's a break from the past when we encounter, when Jesus puts us into a new direction. That's the direction we need to walk in. We don't just add Jesus to our old life. The old life dies, and Jesus becomes our new life. He encourages the Ephesians here. He says, you have not so learned Christ. And the repetition of this idea shows that putting on the new man has a strong aspect of learning and education to it. Paul says, you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus Christ and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Our Christian life must go beyond just head knowledge. It includes head knowledge, but it has to go far beyond head knowledge. It must also affect our whole manner of thinking. It has to affect the way that we act, the way that we speak, the things that we do. It's, it's not just in the sense of knowing facts, but it's the ability to set our minds on the right things. And this is so fundamental to the Christian life and Christian growth. It's, in, it's described in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It's, it, it's described as renewing your mind. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but, but renew your mind. Now the Ephesians learned Christ, not only learning about Jesus, but also learning him, who Jesus was, who Jesus is, the person himself. It wasn't just good enough to know about Jesus. And, I, and it's the same for us today. It's not good enough to just know about who Jesus is. We need to know who he is. What is Jesus about? This means a living, abiding knowledge of of Jesus, who he is. That, that living, abiding knowledge of Jesus will keep us from the kind of sinful conduct Paul is speaking of in chapter 4. Just knowing about Jesus isn't enough to keep us pure. For, for those of you that grew up in a Christian home but didn't really have a relationship with Jesus, you understand this very well. It's not just enough to know who Jesus is. There has to be this relationship just knowing about Jesus isn't enough to keep us pure. We must know Jesus himself. We have to know Jesus personally. We have to have this abiding relationship with him. Here's what Spurgeon has to say uh, about this topic of a relationship with Jesus. He says, so if you want to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you must live with him. First, he must himself speak to you. And afterwards, you must abide in him. He must be the choice companion of your morning hours. He must be with you throughout the day. And with him, you must also close the night. And as often as you wake during the night, you must say, when I awake, I am still with thee. It's not just about adding Jesus to our life. Jesus has to become our life. Jesus has to be the source, the companion, 
the very, the very reason why we're able to wake up. Now, we all face difficulties. We all face trials. But if we don't allow Jesus to, to be the source of our life, we're not able to say, to, we're not able to add what James tells us to find it pure joy, my brethren, when you face these difficulties. Because the testings of your faith, they produce patience. They produce character. You see, these difficulties don't produce faith. What produces faith? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. These difficulties reveal the cracks and the holes within our relationship with Jesus, where we're not clinging closely to him. Because these testings of our faith, they produce character. They produce in us a greater reflection of who Jesus is in our lives. And so Paul tells us, he says, put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. The new man is the new creation described in 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The new man is created in us at conversion. It is the person created according to the image of Jesus Christ, which has been made righteous and holy. It is in contrast to the old man. The old man is the man inherited from Adam, and because of sin, which separates us from God, it instinctively rebels against God. Our flesh, the very nature of our sinful bodies, want to rebel against God. And yet, as we become this new creation, as we have become a new creation, we have become transformed to this image of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, leave the former things Take off the former conduct. Put on the new man. Put on the new conduct. And, and so what is that conduct? What is the conduct of the new man? Well, verse 25 begins to clarify that for us. He says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. He starts off by saying, therefore, put, uh, put, putting away lying. Put away lying. The, the new man tells the truth. This new man, this new woman, this new creation tells the truth. And the motive for doing this is because, Paul writes here, we are members of one another. Therefore, there is no place for lying. A body functions properly if it tells itself the truth. If your hand touches something hot, but your hand tells your brain that it is cold, what happens? What happens, church? Your hand gets burned. And that's what happens within the church. 
We, be, we allow these lies, we allow these things that we speak of that aren't the truth. There's, there's a lack of integrity. And so what happens? People get burned because we're not truthful. We're not honest. And, and, and Paul is saying here, don't allow those things. That's a, that's a part of the former conduct. Put on the new conduct. Put away lying. A body functions proper, properly if it tells the truth. That's why telling the truth is so important because we are members of one another. We're a part of the body of Christ. And if we have allowed the pattern of lying to be in our lives, we won't be honest, we won't have integrity, and we'll burn the body. We'll burn people. We'll hurt people. He says, be angry and do not sin. The new man may get angry. But he does not sin. The the new man knows how to let go of his wrath, giving no opportunity to the devil. See, the devil's work is to accuse and divide the family of God. It's his primary objective. It's to accuse and divide the family of God and to sow discord among them. And so when we harbor anger in our heart, when we harbor these, these difficulties against someone... We do the devil's work for him. When we don't allow honesty, when we don't want to follow Matthew 18, that if, if a man, if someone has, if we have something against someone, go to them, you and them alone, so that why? So that you can win your brother over and maintain relationship. We don't want to do that. We don't want to be honest people. Why? Because we allow these patterns of the old man. We try to hide them. We try to hide behind them. And Paul would tell us, as he tells the church in Ephesus, let go of those things. Put away those things. When we harbor anger in our heart, we do the devil's work. The name devil literally means slanderer. And here Paul may be saying that when we hold on to our anger, creating bitterness, we give place to the slanderer. Either because we become one, or because we provoke their slander. When we allow lying, when we allow bitterness and anger, we do the devil's work and we allow slander in. And, and here, here's the crazy thing about the devil, right? He, he doesn't tempt us in like these overtly, crazy ways, right? He always, he always tries to do things very subtly. Just like he, he tries to disciple us through this world, right? The, 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 the world really disciples us very subtly, right? I'll prove it to you. I'll prove to you that this world subtly disciples us, okay? So I'm going to say something, and if you know it, just follow along, okay? Okay, you guys with me? You guys seem like a younger crowd, amen? You guys a younger crowd? Whatever. All right. In West Philadelphia, born and raised on the... Okay, so the younger people are on this side. I'll try something different. Here's another one. Here's another one. As soon as you know it, follow along. Okay? Everybody knows it. Why? Because this world's desire is to disciple us. And it's not even a sinful thing. But be aware that this world is desiring to disciple you. 
knowing the Andy Griffith show theme whistle isn't sinful. But we can easily allow this world to, to pattern the way that we think. And here's a difficulty. This, this gener- I've, I've been calling this generation the meme generation. You guys know what a meme is? Any of you older people know what a meme is? Okay, I'll, I'll give you some examples. Here's one example of a meme. We can look at the screens. Let's see. Let's see if they got it. I'll just keep walking backwards. So there we go. Some things are better left unsaid, which I generally realize right after I have said them. Right? And, and anytime you see a meme with Kermit the Frog drinking tea, in your mind you have to think, but that's none of my business. Okay, so now read it again with, with that in your mind. Some things are better left unsaid, which I generally realize right after I have said them, but that's none of my business. Okay, here's another one. This one, this one is really close to me it's, uh, because it relates to me really well. Here's a second uh, meme. Controlling my tongue is no problem. It's my face that needs deliverance. And memes are funny, and, 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 it's, and it's good to joke around. It's good to laugh, and especially when, it, when it's directed at ourselves. Like, these are great. But here's the problem. We've so allowed the patterns of this world, we've so allowed the world to disciple us that we have forgotten. We have forgotten that it's not okay to lie and to slander people. And we hide behind these memes and we post them and we think that it's funny. But the reality is this. We're slandering. We're lying about people that we have no relationship with. And it, has made, it made me so sad. What made me sad in 2016 was that the church allowed distraction and division through these memes. And, and during the political season, it was okay for the church to just post about these presidential candidates. And we made fun of them. And we joked about them. And shame on us for doing it. Because what Paul is telling us here is that we need to leave that former thing. It's the saddest thing about 2016 to me. That I would look through all these things and see people within our church and within the church as a whole just be okay with slandering these people. Listen, our opinion about someone is never going to lead them to Jesus. It's never going to do it. How we speak about someone may give us a laugh, but we should be more concerned about their relationship with God than our own opinion about them. And when we post these things and when we slander these people, we do the devil's work for him because his desire is to divide the church. His desire is to distract the church when really we should be getting on our knees and praying for these people. Asking God to heal our land. Asking God to to put the right person in place. And not just be so okay with posting whatever we want because we think it's funny. The reality of these jokes, it's going to cost something. But who is it going to cost? Who is it going to cost? Paul continues to go on and he says, let him who stole steal no longer. The new man does not steal, but he works with his hands. He does this not only to provide for his own needs, but also to have something to give him who is in need. The reason why we work and the reason why God 
allows things in our lives is so that we are able to be conduits of his mercy and his grace and his blessing so that we can give to those in need. He says, let him labor. The word labor is literally to exert himself to the point of exhaustion. And this is the kind of working heart God commands those who used to steal. He wants them to have this heart to labor, to to exert themselves to the point of exhaustion. And Paul's idea is that we should work so that we can give, and the purpose of getting becomes giving. And maybe you haven't stole money from someone. Maybe you've never stolen a candy bar from a grocery store, but maybe you've stolen time. Maybe you're that person that has stolen time at work where you should be working, but you're on Facebook. Or, or you, you were supposed to clock out, but you asked your friend to clock you out. Or maybe you were supposed to clock in at a certain time, so you asked your friend to clock you in. And, and that's stealing, people. You're stealing time, which is maybe almost worse because, time, because money, you can always get more money, but you can never get more time. It's stealing. And Paul would tell us, Move away from stealing. Let, let the former person steal no more. And let the new person labor, exert themselves to the point of exhaustion so that the purpose of getting becomes giving. He says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. And the new man knows how to watch his tongue. Speaking only, Paul would say, what is good for necessary edification desiring to impart grace to the hearers, to all who hear him. My opinion will never save someone. Jesus saves. The way I think about a person will never save someone. But I'll tell you one thing. I know that if I'm kind to someone, if I'm gracious to them, God can use that because it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his mercy. It's his love. And the reason why we're not allowed or we're not supposed to have these corrupt words proceed out of our mouth, it's, it's, it's for necessary edification so that those who hear us hear grace. They hear God's love through our mouths. Our opinion about someone will never lead to Jesus. Slandering someone will never bring edification and unity within the body. And and Paul here, he tells us to let go of these things and and not to grieve the Holy Spirit. The new man will not grieve the Holy Spirit. Knowing that the Holy Spirit, he is our seal, both in the sense of identification, we are citizens of heaven now, but also protection. Now, there are many ways to grieve the Holy Spirit. We can neglect holiness and and a holy life and, and grieve the Holy Spirit. We can think very materialistically or or just on these temporary things here on earth and we can grieve the Holy Spirit. You see, the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, John 15, 26 says this, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. The work of the Holy Spirit is always to exalt Jesus. The work of the Holy Spirit is always to exalt Jesus. And, and when we fail to do the same, we grieve the Holy Spirit. When we, when, we, when we have these corrupt words come out of our mouths, when we slander someone, when we, when we don't talk to edif- edify someone, 
we're not do, allowing the Holy Spirit to do a work within our lives because we, we don't exalt Jesus in doing those things. And our lives have to, through the Holy Spirit, exalt Jesus. I have a couple more quotes from Spurgeon. I, I was reading a lot of his commentaries as I was studying through this, so there will be a couple more quotes from Spurgeon. But here's some things that he had to say on grieving the Holy Spirit. He said, sin everywhere must be displeasing to the spirit of holiness. But sin in his own people is grievous to him in the highest degree. He will not hate his people, but he does hate their sin and hates them all the more because they nestle in his children's bosoms. The spirit would not be the spirit of truth if he could approve of that which is false in us. He would not be pure if that which is impure in us did not grieve him. Because the spirit of God is pure, it can't approve of the impurities of our lives or else, or else Jesus himself wouldn't be pure. He also says the Holy Spirit's grief is not of a petty, oversensitive nature. He is grieved with us mainly for our own sakes, for he knows that he knows what misery sin will cost us. He reads our sorrows in our sins. He grieves over us because he knows how much chastisement we incur and how much communion we lose. The Spirit is grieved when we do these, these things that are improper or unfit for the Christian because he knows that we, we can't be near a holy God with unholiness. And we lose out on this communion. We lose out on the right relationship with God. And it grieves the Holy Spirit because the desire of the Holy Spirit is to exalt Jesus. The desire of the Holy Spirit is to lead us into the truth, to guide us into knowing God's word and being built up in faith. And when we allow these things that should be of the former, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Because the work of the Holy Spirit is to draw us to Jesus the work of the Holy Spirit is to draw us to the Father, right? As a non-believer, the work of the Holy Spirit in us is always to draw us to our maker. So there's always this work of conviction to bring us to a place where we humble ourselves, we submit to the work of God. And, and as we surrender our lives to the Lord, the work of the Holy Spirit is to maintain conviction so that we can maintain holiness. So the work of the Holy Spirit is always to draw us to the Father, it's always to draw us to Jesus. Paul says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. And the new man has, the new man has a control of his emotions. Bitterness, wrath, anger. When such things do emerge, which they will emerge. Like for me, I'll be, I'll be very candid with you. Anytime I get in the car. It's a trigger for me. It's like, oh, why are people driving like this? Why can't I just find a parking spot? These things come up, and yet the new man has control of his emotions. He's able to deal with them in a manner that is glorifying to God. Aristotle defined bitterness as the resentful spirit that refuses reconciliation. The resentful spirit that refuses reconciliation. Does that speak to you today? Are you someone that re refuses reconciliation? 
Are you holding on to bitterness? Well, Paul would, Paul would say in God's word that we're to leave those things, to put away from those things. Bitterness. Wrath speaks of an outburst of the moment. Anger speaks of a, of a settled disposition. Both must be put away. He says, as he closes this chapter, he says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. The new man seeks to show the same kindness, tender-heartedness, and forgiveness to others that God shows to us. If we treat others as God treats us, we fulfill everything Paul told us to do in chapter 4. He says, just as God in Christ forgave you, our forgiveness to others is patterned after the forgiveness of Jesus towards us. When we think of the amazing way God forgives us, and, and I'll speak for myself, like God can forgive someone like me, that's pretty amazing. Like not, most of you don't know me um, before I was a Christian, and, and, and I'm very thankful for that. But, but I can say within my own self, I am so thankful that God would forgive someone like me. And I would even dare to say that if God can forgive someone like me, he can forgive you. Because I relate to Paul when he says, I'm the chief of sinners. There is a, a, an amazing work that God has done in my life and is still doing And I'm so thankful that he would continue to forgive me, that he would know everything about me. He knows the things that I'm going to even do still in the future, and he still chooses to forgive me. When we think of this amazing way that God forgives us, it is shameful for us to withhold forgiveness from those who have wronged us. It's shameful for us not to desire reconciliation. It's a shame to the church if we don't want to extend forgiveness because it's the very thing that we are founded on, the forgiveness of our sins that Jesus would give to us so freely. You see, God holds back his anger a long time. He holds it back until we acknowledge his forgiveness. He bears with us long enough. He he bears with us long, though our lives of sin provoke him. God reaches out to bad and evil people to bring them to himself and attempts reconciliation with bad people. God always makes the first move in forgiveness, trying to reconcile even though the guilty party is uninterested in forgiveness. That is a characteristic of God because I can tell you for me, just from my own life, there, were, there was a time in my life where I wanted nothing to do with God and yet he always initiated forgiveness towards me. And can we say the same for ourselves, church? That we always initiate forgiveness, even if the, par- the other party is uninterested in reconciliation. God forgives our sin knowing that we will sin again, often in exactly the same way. 
God's forgiveness is so complete and glorious that he grants adoption to those former offenders. God has brought me into his family. He has adopted me. God in his forgiveness bore all the penalty for the wrong we did against him. God keeps reaching out to man for reconciliation even when man rejects him again and again. God's forgiveness offers complete restoration and honor. He loves, he adopts, he honors, and he associates those who once wronged him. He associates with those who once wronged him. And God, he puts his trust in us. He puts his trust in you and me and invites us to work with him as co-laborers when he forgives us. It's no, it's no small thing for a person like me to be entrusted with the very word of God, to be able to teach it to those that he loves, you, the bride. It's no small thing. And yet God in his great knowledge and in his great glory, he would choose to give us these responsibilities and trust us with them. Why? Because he desires to do a great work through his spirit in our lives. If we would leave the former things and put on the new things. If anyone here who is a Christian finds a difficulty in forgiveness... Spurgeon writes, I am going to give him three words which will help him wonderfully. I would put them into the good man's mouth. I gave them to you just now and prayed you to get the sweetness of them. Here they are again for Christ's sake. Cannot you forgive an offender on that ground? Can you not extend and initiate forgiveness for Christ's sake? Can can you not hold your tongue of saying what you want to say for Christ's sake? Can you withhold the, the anger that you might be feeling for the moment so that there would be an allowance for grace for Christ's sake? It would be good for us to take heed to what Spurgeon wrote. There is sweetness to that saying. Cannot you forgive an offender on that ground for Christ's sake? There are many a people in our lives that need to hear about Jesus, but they need to hear it from and through our lives with grace. They need to see mercy in action, forgiveness through our lives. You see, when we are a new creation and have put off the old things and put on the new things, we are then able to imitate God as his dear children because there is no corrupt thing in God. And so we can only imitate God as being incorruptible when we ourselves are children of his, when we leave those former things and put on the new. And so he continues on in chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children children. Be imitators of God. And the idea is simple, that we are to make God our example and model. That we can't be content and we can't content ourselves to comparing us with each other. We have to look at what God would say to us. We must heed the idea of First Peter Chapter 1, 15 through 16, where he says, As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And the reality of a Christian life is you've already been made holy. You just have to remain holy. I love this illustration as I was, I was invited to speak at a, at a youth, uh, youth camp 
and uh, Pastor Dominic Dinger from Minnesota, he was there also, and he taught, and he gave this great illustration of when Moses was encountered with this burning bush, and God would say, take off your sandals, for you were standing on holy ground. And really the idea there is that God, in his holiness, wanted Moses to put the dirtiest part of his body at that time, right, the feet, and he wanted him to place the dirtiest part of his body on the holiest part. Because God wants to encounter the dirtiest part of our lives. And he wants to establish holiness. He's not afraid of the mess of your life. He's not afraid of the dirtiness of your life. He welcomes it. He desires it so that he might make those who would humble themselves, surrendering themselves to be holy. We cannot be holy if we're not his children because his children he has made holy. And if we are his children, then we can imitate God. It does not say think about God. It doesn't say admire God or adore God. Though those are all important Christian attributes. This is a call to practical action. It goes beyond just the inner life of a Christian with God. It goes into action, how we live our lives, how we conduct ourselves within our families, how we conduct ourselves in our marriages, how we conduct ourselves at work or at school. And he says to imitate as dear children. Children are natural imitators. Do you guys agree with that? Children are natural imitators. They, they, they do the things that we, we say, or they, they say the things that we say, whether we like it or not, right? That's how, that's how I learned the, the ABCs, right? I heard these sounds that, that someone was saying, and I tried to imitate those sounds. Children are natural imitators, and they often do just what they see their parents or other adults do. And when we act according to our nature as children of God, we will. We will imitate God. As children of God, we will imitate God when we see him, when we have this relationship with him, when we leave these former things and we allow an an outpour of the good things that we should be putting on. As we do imitate God, Spurgeon writes again, we become representatives of God, especially before those who have shut God out of their life. What are we sent into this world for? Is it not that we may keep men in mind of God, whom they are most anxious to forget? If we are imitators of God as dear children, they will be compelled to recollect that there is a God, for they will see his character reflected in ours. I have heard of an atheist who said he could get over every argument except the example of his godly mother. He could never answer that. Now, doubters and debaters may find answers to these great theological questions or these great theological debates, but they can never find an answer for a life that is wholly surrendered to God, imitating the love of Christ and walking in love. They have no answer for that. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, we will overcome this world by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. 
This is why it's so important that we imitate God as his children. If we live our lives imitating who our God is, there is no debate to that. As many of you, uh, as many of you know, some of you may not know, I, I, I have a 15-year-old son, and um, me and my wife kind of cheated. We, we adopted him when he was 12, and um, he's a great kid, and uh, I just love this kid. And the idea of, of a child imitating a dad or a parent you know, we, we adopted him when he was 12, and so we didn't get 12 years. We didn't get 12 years of being able to set this example. We didn't get 12 years of being able to pour into this young man's life. And, and yet one of the... One of the greatest joys, I, I believe, of any parent is to see their kids imitating them. And it's a great joy to me when I see these things that I didn't have 12 years to build upon, and yet here we are three years later where he's, he, there are things that he just wants to be like his mom and dad. He just wants to imitate us. And how much that is the, the, the heart of the Father, how it pleases him, how it brings him joy when his children, they just want to imitate him. They just want to imitate who he is. It's, it's kind of funny and humorous because I, I'm, I'm Filipino and my, my son, he's Guatemalan. But people will come up to us and say, oh, he looks just like you. And, uh, and I'm, I'll take that. He's a good-looking kid, and so I, I, I want to look like him, sure. But it brings me so much, not the, things, not the things that I don't want him to imitate, those things he can put away, but the things that I'm like, yes, you get it. It brings me so much joy when he imitates those things. And, and really, I just, to encourage you as parents, what a great privilege we have that God would entrust us with these, these young men and women to pour into them. Or be like Paul. Paul would write, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The legacy that we leave with our kids should always be to imitate God, to walk in love. We close this morning by just reading verse, verse 1 and 2 again. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God. For a sweet-smelling aroma. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us. As in all things, Jesus is our example. As he has loved us and he, as he has, for, has given himself for us, we too are to display the same kind of self-giving love. We haven't turned at all. So if you would turn your Bibles to the book of Colossians really quickly. It's to the right of the book of Ephesians. Chapter 3, I'll, I'll just read it to you. It says this, if, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your, set your mind on things above, not on the things on, on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ 
who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. There, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you, uh, so you also must do. But above all these things... Put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Church, put on love. Imitate God. Walk in love and put it on. It is the bond of perfection. Just as Jesus, Jesus' giving of, of himself was a sacrifice pleasing to the Father. Jesus was imitating his Father. He did only what the Father desired for him to do. We can also offer ourselves a pleasing sacrifice, a sweet-smelling aroma, as we give ourselves in love to others. It's the very nature of who our God is. God is love. God is love, and we're to put on his nature because it is the bond of perfection. And so often we can think we could lay down our life in some sort of dramatic way to show our love for others. But the reality is that God often calls us to lay down our lives little by little. Hey, hey, I, may, I, I know that you and your husband are, are going through a difficulty. Why don't, why don't I watch your kids for you and you guys can go spend some time, just the two of you, for a couple hours and, and invest in one another. Hey, I know that you need a ride to the airport. Or, hey, I, need, I know you need a ride from the airport. Let me, let me go pick you up. Let me serve you in that way. It's little by little. We often think that has to be these grand gestures of what love really is. And for you married people, you understand that it's not these grand gestures that, that keep a marriage, right? It's these little by little things that we do to maintain our relationships. God isn't asking us to do these great grand things. He's just asking us to, to humble ourselves little by little. Allowing, our, allowing the love, which is the bond of, of perfection, to define who we are. It's just little by little. In, in, in small increments instead of one large payment. Church, would you resolve for this year? Would you not make a resolution, but resolve it in your heart to imitate God as his child and to walk in love? to remove the former things and to put on the new things so that those around you might be able to, like as, as it would be written, right, in the Beatitudes, right? Let your light so shine before men so that what? Your Father in heaven would be glorified. All these things are done in our lives so that our Father in heaven would be glorified. 
imitate God as his child and walk in love, church. Make 2017 a year where the church is known by their love, by their love for one another. That's how Jesus would describe his disciples. They'll know you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. Church, would you stand this morning as we close with a song and as we pray? Let's just stand. Let's, God, we want to, we want everything that you have for us, Lord. And I know that's a bold prayer at times because that means also that, that you may allow difficulty. And yet, God, you allow difficulties for our benefit and for your glory. You allow good things for our benefit and for your glory. All of it, Lord, you do it for our benefit and for your glory. Lord, I pray that we, as your church, would be people that walk in love. That we would be those that are imitators of who you are, your very nature, which is love. Help us to be known by our love, God. And even as we pray, God... Um, for those that might be in this room or for those that might be hearing my voice and, and, and they, they don't know what a, a new life looks like because they've never surrendered their life to you. They, they, they want to know how to have a new life. They want to know how to walk in love. And, and so, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they, they're encountered with you, they're being encountered with you, Lord. You're meeting them right where they're at. And now all they have to do is respond. And, and if that's you today, if you need to respond to the good news of Jesus, that he came to this earth and he died to pay the penalties of your sin and that you can have forgiveness of sin, if you want to respond to that call today, would you just raise your hand? And I, I just want to pray with you. I want to encourage you to not, not only will you have a new year, like today is the first day of the year, but now today can be the first day of your new life. 2017, January 1st, 2017 can be the day of your, of your new life. And so if that's you, just raise your hand and I, I just want to pray with you. I want to encourage you. Is there anyone here this morning? I see you right there. I see you there also. Is there anyone else? If you're responding to God today, you can say this simple prayer. It's, it's not some sort of magical prayer that's going to make everything better, but, but it is a response. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths that the Lord Jesus, uh, if, if we believe, if we confess with our mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And, and so today, would you just say this simple prayer? We, you could say, Jesus, I know that you died for sinners. Jesus, I know that you died for me. Lord, forgive me of my sins and give me a new life and help me to follow you the rest of my days. God, I know if anyone prayed in simplicity that prayer, Lord, just confessing their need for forgiveness of sins, Lord, I know that your word says that they're saved, and I pray that it's, it's true. I pray that it's a sincere prayer, that today is the day of their new life, not just a new year, but a new life. And God, I pray for us as a church as we move into this new year. God, help us, encourage us, strengthen us to walk in love. Let us be known for our love for one another, God. It was your command. It was your desire. 
So we pray for the rest of our day. We pray for the rest of our week and our year. We thank you, God, for all that you're doing. We pray these things, Jesus, in your great name. And everyone said, amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.